Hi, and welcome to another edition of Lift and Tilt. We're a material handling podcast that focuses on the issues of the day and uh, how, how they affect the material handling, supply chain, uh, heavy manufacturing industries. And uh, we do so over a, uh, uh, a adult beverage. Uh, today we're drinking uh, Molly Duker, which is a Shiraz uh, wine out of Australia. Um, and uh, it's kind of funny when, when we were looking at the bottle, uh, I noticed that the boxer had two left gloves on and I thought it was a mistake on the part of the illustrator or what have you and uh, actually when we got to looking at it Molly Duker evidently is a um, like a a colloquialism or term for a left-handed boxer and um, so they drew the boxer on there with two two left hands Um, and uh, so anyway I I just thought it was funny it was obviously a purposeful thing that they had done Um, Molly Duker is uh, like I said is a surprise the alcohol by volume on this is uh, a little over 16%. So, uh, you know, you drink a couple of glasses of this and, and you may feel a little punch drunk. Uh, you know, no pun intended there. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, you know, talking about what what actually is the, the purpose of the podcast today, uh, we're talking about, uh, you know, kind of the talent shortage. Um, even though we're, we're in a pandemic and there's more people that are unemployed than ever before, um, there still seems to be uh, a, a shortage of a labor shortage when companies are looking uh, to, to hire for um, those types of industries. And, and part of it is driven by the fact that there's this, this need and want uh, and uh, necessity for Kind of these digital transformation and you know, all of that's been sped up because of the pandemic you know companies are looking harder at uh, artificial intelligence machine learning automation um, all of these things that uh, can make their organizations uh, more resilient and uh, impervious to things like the pandemic uh, you know that was a, a big shakeup uh, for a lot of companies and they're trying to shore up those those weak links so that, you know, moving forward that their company is uh, more sustainable and easier to uh, manage and hopefully more successful. But when you're looking at how you're going to implement those types of things, uh, a big part of the the puzzle um, is the talent and the labor part of it is, you know, can we find people that uh, have the ability to to work in a digital environment that have those critical thinking skills that have the ability to utilize digital tools. Um, I think as companies, we really get caught up a lot in how, uh, in the tool itself. Look what this can do. Look at this technology. It, uh, it's going to transform our industry. And those things are true, but organizations are built around people. They're not built around technologies. And if you're using those items as a competitive advantage, they're very easy to overcome. The The barrier for entry that they represent isn't very high because any other company can go out and buy these off-the-shelf items uh, or bring in a consultant or whatever it might be to implement these technologies, and then they're on the same path that you are. Um, what really is going to separate you between your competitors are the people that are, are executing it. It's not always so much the how but the who. Um, and so this article that we looked at, you know, it talks about that, that so much of the, the focus is on the software and the, the technology portion that many times we forget about the people that make these things possible. 
And, you know, as we look at, uh, you know, digital is kind of a, a key transformation lever. Uh, people are grappling with this. How do we find and recruit the younger tech-savvy workers? Can we retain our current talent because they we're in this transition phase between uh, having you know this brain trust of people that have been there for a long time and have the the knowledge that we need to produce widgets or or, or what have you, um, and a workforce that can come in that can you know potentially take this process and make it more efficient and more effective moving forward. So it's not really just a transformation of today, but a transformation of tomorrow. Where are we going? And it's really the people and not the tools. Um, when we look at, you know, in, you know, uh, starting kind of this transformation process, uh, particularly with the people that are currently already on your team, uh, there's a lot of fear. You know, when, when change happens, it, it triggers kind of a survival response. Um, and it's us, it helps us problem solve against a threat and a lot of times when you bring in artificial intelligence machine learning uh, robots automation whenever you bring in those things there's a fear that these things are being brought in to replace um, that you know it's going to reduce the the number of people that are working there um, it's going to take jobs away um, and that's a, a natural response it's one you should expect if that's what you're you're looking to do but how do we how do we approach that differently well, one of the things that we, we've we seen uh, time and time again that for these kind of successful transformations is you have to get people that are willing to embrace the opportunity. And it's, it's what's known as kind of a thrive response. You know, how do you get people to collaborate and innovate and kind of work differently um, and, and be leaders and uh, understand that um, that that you can you can make your force your workforce understand this and become uh, resilient and have a willingness to employ and, and learn new skills. And what are the building capabilities? How do, it's not just technology, but it's our ability to adapt and to change to that that environment. Now, you're obviously going to have you know uh, traditional learning and development approaches um, that are going to you know have on-the-job opportunities to ensure growth. Um, and, and a lot of times that happens in kind of a classroom type setting. Um, and, and many times we don't get the type of uh, results we want out of that. And we think maybe a, a better way to engage in, in how this is done is to, um, to make little, like, little focus teams, uh, you know, whether that be task force or, or what have you, groups of kind of cross-functional people to come together and, and tell them what the problem is. Tell them, like... We want to increase uh, our production. We want to double it, and we want to be able to do it in either the same amount of time or half the time, or uh, you know, with with uh, fewer inputs or, or fewer uh, financial resources required. And let them uh, look at at what's being done, because more likely than not. The people that are actually on the floor, the people that are actually doing the work, can probably tell you where the pinch points are. They can probably tell you where the inefficiencies are. Um, they know this. They do this day in and day out. They know what makes their job more difficult. And by engaging them, you know you're psychologically bringing them into the solution. And I'll give you an example of that. If you tell me that 
uh, you're changing my entire workflow and how I'm going to do it. I'm probably going to be uh, a little bit upset, a little miffed, um, and be very distrusting of, of you. But if you bring me in and you ask me to help you find a way to do this better, um, I'm actively engaged in that process. Doesn't have to be specifically my idea, but the fact that I'm a part of it, the fact that I'm sharing my, my information, my knowledge, whatever we determine is the new process, I'm actively going to try to make it work. Because guess what? Now I have pride in it. I have uh, my name is on the line. I, I want it to work because it was partially my idea or all of my idea. Um, so engaging those people in that way uh, can lead to, to greater things. You know, the industries that we're, we're talking about, you know, the supply chain, material handling, uh, you know, manufacturing. <clears throat> At least in my experience, they're kind of uh, behind the times in some some way, shape, and form, uh, in, in how they approach business. Uh, you know, from a digital standpoint, um, you know, they're doing things now that were probably done in other industries 30 years ago. Um, from a management perspective, you typically have kind of this command and control. It's a very hierarchical. Uh, you know, the boss says this, and then the uh, the uh, the team lead says this and then everybody just kind of falls in line and uh you know there's this kind of chain of command and that's great except for the fact that usually the person that making the decision in that type of management situation isn't the guy that's working on the line he is not in the day-to-day to see everything that happens when you have kind of more of an employee engaged type of leadership or uh, management um, you you find out that these people probably know more about the process than you do. Um, and it alleviates some of their fears and concerns. And uh, instead of having them work against you, it engages them to work with you. So I think that, you know, that's a way you can can begin to bring those people on. And it's, you know, kind of a employee-led innovation culture where people can come in and, and freely uh, freely speak about things that they uh, think are concerns or uh, opportunities for the company to get better. And I think a lot of times, you know, we, we don't give uh, the floor workers the, the um, benefit of the doubt that they can understand kind of the strategic vision. You know, that typically doesn't flow down to them what we're trying to accomplish and by being able to go to them and explain the difference of a competitive advantage between us and uh, you know somebody else in the industry uh, in terms of being able to produce x widget um, you know quicker faster cheaper and how that makes our company stronger allows us to add more employees uh, allows us to continue to work so that we don't have layoffs so that we don't have uh, a company that is struggling financially that it gives them more opportunities as individuals uh, for promotions um, and, and what have you. It allows us to um, to share those benefits with the company as a whole. But even going further, you know, you know, this entire topic is about uh, recruiting talent, talent that we don't currently have that maybe 
uh, is younger, maybe doesn't quite fit the mold of what we've done in the past. And again, I'm going to share some some personal examples. I've worked at um, you know I've worked in marketing for over 20 years, which is definitely a white collar job. I work on a computer every day, um, kind of geeky, uh, you know, nerdy type of uh, position where most people would probably see me as that. But all of the industries that I've ever worked in have been in very blue collar uh, kind of manly fields, you know, where you get dirt under your fingernails and grease and, and what have you. You know, I've worked in agriculture, I've worked in construction, uh, I've worked in, uh, in manufacturing, um, all while doing marketing, you know. I'm not saying that I was, you know, uh, a field worker in construction or agriculture or on a manufacturing floor, but I was around those side of those those people in in that industry. Um, you know, everybody in my family's blue collar. They came from the oil and gas industry. Um, I'm the only person in my family ever to go to college, so it's uh, it's kind of a different thought process. And I think whenever we're talking about you know hiring the the type of people that maybe have a skill set maybe that's a little bit closer to, to some of the things that I know how to do versus somebody that is uh, extremely mechanically inclined um, and, and has those those hard skill sets that uh, that maybe aren't they're not going away but maybe aren't used to seeing kind of this digital transformation or digital tools on the floor, uh, working hand in hand with uh, with these folks, I think sometimes there's a disconnect. And what I mean by that is, um, whenever I've had several jobs where I've gone into, and I've had people, uh, you know, at one point in time I drove a Chevy pickup truck. Um, I had some people that were very much the uh, very manly men. They worked on mechanical things. They went home in Nomex and were greasy that would come into my office and they'd tell me they like my truck, but told me that, uh, you know, I shouldn't be driving it, that I should be driving a smart car. Um, and I understand a good ribbing. I, I have no problem with that, but I think there's always the risk there that you are alienating people that somehow because they have a different skill set than you, um, that they are other in some way, shape or form, particularly in this industry. Uh, I'll give you another example. Obviously, you know, I work on a computer that, you know, 95% of my job is working on a computer. Uh, Obviously, I know how to type. Um, I've had people come in and insinuate that, you know, uh, that I must have, uh, you know, had some kind of uh, femininity or what have you to have taken a typing class to learn how to to type. it's not a big deal. It doesn't hurt my feelings any, but at the same time, I can certainly tell you that I have felt like I was uh, not part of the group, that I didn't fit in, that uh, for one reason or another, I was seen as apart from the group. You know, yes, I worked there. Yes, I was uh, someone in the company, but that I didn't fit the mold. And in some cases that, that I wasn't welcome. Um, and I think that that happens a lot. And when we're talking about trying to hire uh, people that are digitally talented, that have this skill set, maybe they have gone to college, maybe they have some uh, skill sets with their hands, but you know 
but they have this technology background that you have to somehow find a way to make sure that there's that it's inclusive that while yes good natured ribbing uh, can make you feel part of the group um, that it's done in, in a way that that isn't alienating I guess and um, you know I, I think that there's a, a lot of a lot to be said for that um, a lot of these people that you know that have these digital skill sets that are coming out of college you know we've talked about it in the past on the podcast manufacturing kind of these uh, what are traditionally considered blue collar type uh, industries aren't seen as sexy to college graduates but that's not true there's a lot of things that are changing these digital transformations um, are, are going to make working in these positions and working in these industries much more attractive but you have to kind of get over that hump uh, we kind of have a chicken or the egg scenario well we can't implement these digital transformations because we don't have the right people but we can't get the people because we don't have the technology um, or the the workforce that is welcoming or inviting of these types of people it's uh, it, it's a tough it's a tough nut to crack but I think kind of looking at kind of an employee-led innovation culture, um, one that is inclusive to groups from all different walks of life, and explaining to your, your current core set of employees as well as uh, employees coming in, kind of the strategic vision and what is the, the purpose of the business. And the purpose of the business, and when I say that, I don't mean – uh, is to produce X amount of widgets and to sell so many of them for X amount of dollars. That's that's not motivating. That's not inspiring. That's not what people want to hear. We live in a society today that is not invigorated by I go to work, I do my job, I pick up my paycheck, and I go home. People want to know that what they're doing uh, is for the betterment of humanity in some way, shape, or form, uh, whether that's societal change, uh, environmental uh, motivation, whether it's just making it easier for uh, you know goods and services to be moved from one place in the country uh, to the other, so that uh, when disaster strikes like the pandemic, that we have the ability to uh, produce the necessary um, medical equipment and move it across the country as efficiently and and quickly as possible. You know, that in itself is a difference in in the times that we're currently living in. And I'm going to give you an example of a couple different companies. Um, And you don't have to agree with how they approach things. Um, That's not what this is about, but it's about pointing out that they do have a a purpose um, and that purpose is not making money or producing X amount of widgets. So we've talked about Patagonia before. You know, their whole thing's about ethical supply chains. You know, they won't use companies that uh, that don't take care of their workforce. Uh, they don't use companies that uh, use child labor uh, in, you know, producing 
the textiles that they need for their job or actually putting the items together to you know make a jacket or what have you um, that's kind of their stick um, they want to be ethical in in producing the goods and services that they provide uh, another example this is a food company if you've ever eaten at chipotle they're all about uh, sustainability in the food supply chain um, uh, obviously, you know Nike. Whether you agree or disagree with kind of the the societal stance that they've taken, they have a purpose, and it's not just to sell shoes. Um, it's uh, that they feel that there's a greater good there, and that they want to be a company that uh, stands up for what they believe is right. Again, whether that's something you agree with or don't agree with, there's a company out there. I guarantee you that. Um, it has kind of the similar views on, on the world or, or purpose that you do, whatever it might be. Now, sure, they do this and uh, they leverage it in marketing so that uh, their target demographic, you know, is the beneficiary of that and feels like they're supporting that. But it's bigger than that, and, and they use it in their recruiting process. You know, if you're someone who doesn't care about the environment um, or thinks that uh, you know those types of things aren't aren't important, then you're probably not going to go to work for a company uh, that that looks at uh, environmental issues as one of their their primary uh, functions or drivers. You know, let's say maybe like a company like Tesla. Um, you know that that's not that's not in your wheelhouse and probably doesn't make you a good candidate for them. But the people that do go and work there for them. They're, they have a, um, they're more engaged, they're more motivated because it's not necessarily just about selling more cars or, uh, you know, more uh, clothing or, or more widgets in whatever shape or form they might be, but they feel like what they're doing is making a difference in the world. So I think you have to, to also think about how do you access that. And I know that comes at a, a much higher level, but um, you know, just like we talked about having these these workforces or uh, task forces of your employees, you know, find out what is important to them. You know, you know what is what's the culture of your company? Uh, maybe you don't have one. Um, all of those things, I think, come into play when we're talking about talent shortage, particularly when you're talking about the type of people that are going to make a digital transformation. These people are typically younger and typically um, have uh, have an eye towards not only uh, going in and having a job that pays them well, but having fulfillment in what they do. So it's definitely kind of a, a bigger picture item to think about. And, um, you know, I think it's uh, it's important part of, of this entire discussion. All right, get off my soapbox here. Appreciate you guys listening. Uh, as always, you know, reach out to us at uh, marketing at liftrucksupplyinc.com. Let us know what you think, topics, uh, good, bad, indifferent about, you know, the topics that we have talked about in the past. Um, give us a like, subscribe on uh, iTunes or Google Play. Um, you guys have a, a, a safe rest of your, your week, and uh, we'll talk to you all later. Bye.